If people are not listening to you, stop talking to them. And that's really, that is the best piece of advice that I can give you. And what happens is, is that if you stop talking to people who aren't listening to you and start watching them instead, they will tell you what they're up to. But so if you have things to say, say them, but you find people that will listen, talk to them. The ones who aren't listening, pull back. Because you're, you're devaluing what you have to say by offering it to an audience that does nothing but reject it. And that's a good guideline to life in general. Don't underestimate the power of truth. There's nothing more powerful. Now, in order to speak what you might regard as the truth, you have to let go of the outcome. You have to think, all right, I'm going to say what I think, stupid as I am, biased as I am, ignorant as I am. I'm going to state what I think as clearly as I can, and I'm going to live with the consequences no matter what they are. Now, the reason you think that, that's an element of faith. The idea is that nothing brings a better world into being than the stated truth. Now, you might have to pay a price for that, but that's fine. You're going to pay a price for every bloody thing you do and everything you don't do. You don't get to choose to not pay a price. You get to choose which poison you're going to take. That's it. So if you're going to stand up for something, stand up for your truth. It'll, it'll shape you because people will respond and object and tell you why you're a fool and a biased moron and why you're ignorant. And then if you listen to them, you'll be just that le much less like that the next time you say something. And if you do that for five years, you'll be so damn tough and articulate and able to communicate and withstand pressure that you won't even recognize yourself. And then you'll be a force to contend with. It is not safe to speak, and it never will be. But the, uh, the thing you've got to keep in mind is that it's even less safe not to speak, right? It's a balance of risks. It's like you want to you pay the price for being who you are and stating your mode of being in the world, or do you want to pay the price for being a bloody serf, a one that's enslaved him or herself? Well, that's a major price, man. That thing unfolds over decades, and you'll just be a miserable worm at the end of about 20 years of that, right? No self-respect, no power, no ability to voice your opinions, nothing left but resentment because everyone's against you, because of course you've never st stood up for yourself. It's like, say what you think carefully, pay attention to your words. The price is, it's a price you want to pay if you are willing to believe that truth is the cornerstone of society and in the most real sense if, if you're willing to take that leap then tell the truth and see what happens and nothing better could possibly happen to you there'll be ups and downs and there'll be pushback and there'll be controversy and all of that but it doesn't matter the truth is what redeems the world from hell and that's the truth and we saw plenty of hell over the last hundred years you know and we haven't learned a bloody thing from it it's like wake up tell the truth Tell the truth, or at least don't lie, and that's a start. And, and you, you got to understand that's a risk. I, I did a lot of counseling work with people who were, coaching work, I guess, with people who were fairly spectacularly successful, and they were usually workaholics, you know, they're the sort of people that were, like, they'd work 80 hours a week, just non-stop. That's just what they were like. And one of the things we were always trying to figure out was, well, how much should you work? Because one answer is you just work till you die, right? I mean, you just exhaust yourself, and, well, that's not... That's not a good idea. And, and then you have to figure out why that isn't a good idea. It's got to be something like this, is that you don't want to do so much work that the amount of work you do interferes with the amount of work that you could still do, right? Because if you work like mad for two weeks and then you, you, like you have to lie in a hospital bed for a month, that obviously isn't very productive. So you have to figure out how much you can work diligently 
and then how much you have to recuperate so that you can get back up and work again. And you know, that's people have basically settled on something like this and given it the divine imprimatur. That, that's one way of thinking about it, which is, well, you can toil away for six days and no wonder because you have to work, but you should rest at least one day out of seven because otherwise, well, you don't appreciate life, that might be part of it. And, and plus, I think it's more a matter of iterability. You know, because one of the things that defines morality is the capacity to repeat something, right? So if something is properly structured in a moral manner, then you can do it over and over and over again without any degeneration. And so that's kind of like a relationship. If your relationship is negotiated, you can continue to negotiate it, and then you can have a relationship that lasts for a long time. You can do it today and next week and next month and next year. You can maintain it across time. And this, I would say, is the wisdom that's been that's been garnered over God only knows what period of time, that's a good thing for modern people to know because we seem to be, even though, you know, we're very wealthy by historical standards, our capacity to relax isn't exactly what it could be and I think that's really hard on people. What Panksepp observed, I think this is a brilliant piece of science, is that, first of all, juvenile male rats in particular like to rough and tumble play, they like to wrestle. And they actually pin each other just like little kids do or like adult wrestlers do. They pin their shoulders down and that basically means you win. And so, okay, so that's pretty cool. But what's even cooler, I think, well, there's three things. One is the rats will work for an opportunity to get into an arena where they know the play might occur. And so that's one of the scientific ways of testing an animal's motivation, right? So imagine you have a starving rat and it knows that it's got food down the end of a corridor. You put a little spring on its tail and measure how hard it pulls and that gives you an indication of its motivational force. Now imagine the starving rat that's trying to get to some food and you have a little spring on its tail and you waft in some cat odor. So now that rat is starving and wants to get out of there. He's going to try to pull even farther towards the food. So getting away plus getting forward are separate motivational systems and if you can add them together it's real potent and part of the reason why in the future authoring exercise that you guys are going to do as the class progresses, you're asked to outline the place you'd like to end up, which is your desired future, and also the place that you could end up if you let everything fall apart, is so that your anxiety chases you and your approach systems pull you forward. You're maximally motivated then. And it's important because otherwise you can be afraid of pursuing the things that you want to pursue, right? And that's very common. And so then, the fear inhibits you as the promise pulls you forward, but it makes you weak because you're afraid. You want to get your fear behind you, pushing you. And so what you want to be is afraid, more afraid of not pursuing your goals than you are of pursuing them. It's very, very helpful. And lots of times in life, and this is something really worth knowing, you know, and this is one of the advantages to being an autonomous adult, is you don't get to pick the best thing. You get to pick your poison. You have two bad choices and you get to pick which one you're willing to suffer through. And every choice has a bit of that element in it. And so if you know that, it's really freeing because otherwise you torture yourself by thinking, well, maybe there's a good solution to this, you know, compared to the bad solution. It's like, no, no, sometimes there's just risky solution one and risky solution two. And sometimes both of them are really bad, but you at least get to pick which one you're willing to suffer through. and that's. That actually makes quite a bit of difference because you're also facing it voluntarily then instead of it chasing you. And that is an entire different, entirely different psychophysiological response. Challenge versus threat, it's not the same, even if the magnitude of the problem is the same. 
And so putting yourself in a challenging, let's call it mind frame, you can't just do that by magic. Putting yourself in a challenging mind frame is much, much easier on you psychophysiologically because you don't produce, you don't go into the generalized stress response to the same degree. And you're activating your exploratory and seeking systems which are dopaminergically mediated and that involve positive emotion. So if you can face something voluntarily rather than having it chase you, it's way better for you psychophysiologically. So that's partly why, well, it's worthwhile to go find the dragon in its lair instead of waiting for it to come and eat you. So, and especially when you also add the idea that if you go find the dragon in its lair, you might find it when it's a baby instead of a full-fledged bloody monster that is definitely gonna take you down.